Welcome to Mountain State Cardboard, a podcast about sports, sports cards, and life from the Mountain State of West Virginia. If you're looking for guaranteed hot picks and lead pipe lock advice on the next big thing in sports cards, just turn around now. This isn't the show for you. This is a fun conversation about the hobby we all love. Mountain State Cardboard is on the air. I'm Tim. This is my podcast about sports, sports cards, and life. And welcome to episode 13. We've got a World Series matchup that's set. Uh, We've got lots to talk about in the hobby uh, and in the world of sports. A lot of baseball this week. uh, But uh, as always, I want to kick things off by reminding you to subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at WV Cardboard. The website is WVCardboard.com, and you can email me WVCardboard at gmail.com. Connect with me. Let's have a conversation and had some really great conversations this week, uh, and I'll reference those uh, in a few moments. But I sit here on this Monday morning in the wake of what was a really, really exciting Game 7 of the National League Championship Series last night between the Braves and the Dodgers. And I'm going to get to the Braves uh, in a few moments um, because they've done something that is, frankly, unimaginable. But let's talk about the game just momentarily. Uh, Great game. Really, really, really good series between those two teams. And I think you look at Atlanta, they're going to be good for a very long time based on the young talent that they've got, both uh, hitting and pitching. Uh, The Dodgers, they're built to win the World Series. They're going to have that opportunity. And I think, you know, the Dodgers have been very good in the recent past, but they have not been able to get over that hump and get that World Series win. And I think this year, uh, maybe. Uh, their opportunity to do it. I don't really have a rooting interest in the World Series. I'm just hoping for, honestly, I'm hoping for seven really good games because I want baseball season to last as long as possible. Because one of the things I realized this week is that I miss basketball. So I just, I want baseball to last at least seven games. Well, seven games is the max, but I don't want a four-game sweep. I don't want a five-game series. Give me six. Give me seven games. Let's make this thing last. Um, Mookie Betts, What can you say? The Red Sox have to feel really good about making sure they got under that luxury tax threshold and saved about $16 million by moving Mookie Betts off of their off of their books and getting them getting him out of Boston and into L.A. They have to feel really good about their cost saving measures after what he's done just with his glove in the in the National League Championship Series. Um, I, I don't. For for people that see baseball as a business, like I just can't wrap my head around it. Um, I said the Braves have done something unimaginable, and that is this current Atlanta Braves roster has made me root for the Braves. And for me, that's a big deal. Uh, I have not liked the as I, I I'm a lifelong Pirates fan, so you see where that's going. The early '90s were a tough time for me. Because of the Atlanta Braves, frankly, uh, you know, uh, take away guys like Ron Gant hitting moonshot home runs against us, and you know the pitching that completely shut us down at moments. But on October fourteenth, nineteen ninety-two, my Braves hatred was cemented when a light-hitting backup catcher by the name of Francisco Cabrera 
knocked a looping single into left field and Sid Bream with a knee that was held together with two swizzle sticks and some scotch tape scored from second base. And I'll never forget where I was in that moment. For the rest of my life, I will remember where I was when Sid Bream crossed home plate and sent the Braves to the World Series in 1992. And I'll never forget how I felt in that moment. And I've hated the Braves ever since. But now all of a sudden I look up and I find myself rooting for guys like Acuna and Albies and being impressed once again with a starting squad of pitchers that can just throw lights out when the time calls for it. Um, I can't help myself. I love the way they play the game of baseball. I love the passion and enthusiasm that they have. You know, some base running mistakes last night really cost them. Uh, but this Braves team is fun. And I, if I'm being objective, I, I like them. And I'm, I, I want them to be good uh, in, for years to come. So congratulations, Acuna. You turned me into a Braves fan. Uh, other side of the coin, Rays Astros. I'm just glad the Astros are gone. Uh, they, they, the Astros exhausted me this year. Uh, you know, they embrace that heel roll. And if you're a wrestling fan, you, you know what I mean by the heel roll. Uh, the, you know, the, but at the end of the day, uh, wrestling follows a very tight script. No matter what happens, you look at the mythology of wrestling, and I'll compare this Astros team to the heel champion. The heel eventually loses. The heel is eventually vanquished because wrestling always comes down to good versus evil on some level. There are minor exceptions, but professional wrestling always comes down to good guy versus bad guy. And eventually, it may take two or three matches. It may, it may, you may have to run the, the gauntlet, but eventually, the babyface, the good guy, wins. And the, Ray, the, the Astros rather embrace that heel role. You know, they turned it into an us versus the world mentality. They never showed any contrition for the fact that they got caught cheating red-handed. They played the heel. The heel eventually gets vanquished. And I'm just glad because they exhaust me. And the, you know, this race team is fun to watch, too. There's some, some really fun uh, young players. I, Austin Meadows is a guy that I really – I got to see him play in the minor leagues, uh, coming up through the Pittsburgh system. Uh, he's a guy that I really like. And, and – uh, you know, to see Charlie Morton at the tail end of his career, another former pirate, that's kind of a theme down in, in, in Tampa. But Charlie Morton is a guy who, who, you know, he logged some really tough innings for the Pirates and by all accounts, decent guy, tail end of his career, one more shot at a World Series title. And, you know, good luck. Good luck, Chuck. Ground Chuck uh, is what they called him when he was in Pittsburgh. I don't know if he still wears that moniker or not, but. Uh, he went by ground. The, a lot of folks called him ground Chuck because of his propensity to throw ground ball outs. Um, so, yeah, I think the World Series, Rays, Dodgers, going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun players to watch. I mentioned Meadows, uh, a Rosarena, uh, who's having a breakout campaign uh, in this playoffs down in, in Tampa. And then in L.A., you know, you've got Betts, you've got Cody Bellinger, you've got Corey Seager, you've got fun guys, the young pitchers, Gratterall and May. It's just... Gonsolin, you are seeing a lot of guys right now in these playoffs and that will be featured in this World Series who have the, the potential to be very good for a very long time, and it's exciting. 
And that's another reason that I, I just give me seven games, man. Just let's let's do it. Um, other uh, sports thoughts this week. I mentioned that I, I miss basketball. Um, we in baseball we lost another Hall of Famer. It's been a tough year for guys in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Joe Morgan passing away uh, from the time I recorded last week to now, um, and. I'll say this, and and when Joe Morgan passed, I I, I talked several weeks ago about having the uh, project that I've been working on for a few years now, where I'm going back to the Hall of Fame induction class of 1980, and from 1980s induction class forward, I'm trying to buy, I'm trying to find the rookie cards of every player that's been elected to the Hall of Fame since 1980. And the 80 class includes Willie Mays. I mean, it's going to be a daunting task. I mean, I'm going to have to really, A, scout, and B, invest to get this project done. But that's what we do, right? And it's fun. Um, Joe Morgan's first card was a, a Houston Colt 45's uh, rookie compilation card. It was him, and I forget who the other guy was, uh, but 1965. And I have that card. It's not in great condition, but I have that card, and with some of them that aren't in great condition, uh, I'm, I'm keeping them in the, in the set that I'm building, the registry, I'll, I'll call it. And then over time, when I find better copies, I'll, I'll replace them with better copies. The, the Joe Morgan is a little bit rough. The corners aren't great. It's not very well centered, but I was able to find it fairly cheaply somewhere along the line and, and put it into the collection. Because for me, it's not, it's not about the quality of the cards necessarily. It's the connection to the past and the players that, uh, I watched and the players that I've read about over the years and the players who are important to the game of baseball. And Joe Morgan has been very important to the game of baseball. But my thought is this, as I, as I was pulling that card out of the registry to put it in the light box and take a couple of pictures to, post on Instagram about Joe Morgan's passing and you know my thought that he's frankly the the greatest second baseman to ever play the game of baseball uh, and I I say that with 100% certainty in my heart that he's the best second baseman to ever play and he's a guy that I don't particularly like like I didn't like him as a broadcaster I I don't like the Reds I I and that's obviously he's most noted for his time with the the big red machine. Uh, but he's a guy that I respect the hell out of. But as I was pulling that card out and taking those pictures, my thought was this: there was a much simpler time when it came to collecting baseball cards, and that particular card and that particular era is representative of that. Because if I told you that I wanted to pull out a Cody Bellinger rookie, that might mean different things to different people. Or a Mike Trout rookie. Now, we all understand that the 2011 Topps update is sort of the signature rookie card for Mike Trout, but there are other cards that fall into that category, some Bowman cards that fall into that category. Um, You know, with Cody Bellinger, it's the same. It's like, are, are we talking about the initial Topps base offering? Are we going back to first Bowman, first Bowman, Bowman auto? Like when you say now that you want a player's rookie card, there are different meanings to different people. If I say that I'm pulling my Joe Morgan rookie card out, it's that 1965 Houston Colt 45's future stars card. And that's all it is, right? Like when I say that I'm going to 
show somebody my George Brett rookie. It's the 1975 tops, purple and pink, the 75 design. You know, it. that's it. Or Robin Yount, the brown and orange, 75. He's in the position, like glove between his legs, like he's about to field a grounder. That's it. When I say I'm going to show you my Ricky Henderson rookie collection, it's 1980 tops. That's it. So with vintage cards, and it, and we all know this, but it really struck me this week as I was pulling out the Joe Morgan for the for the in memoriam post on my Instagram account. It was just easier. It's easier with vintage. Um, you know, it it gets a little dicey. Some of the some of the more recent Hall of Fame inductees. I have to decide what rookie card do I want to include in the registry. Do I want to try to include them all? What I default to is their first tops base card is sort of representative to me of a rookie card. But you know, with a guy like Randy Johnson, you've also got the Donruss rated rookie. You've got the '89 Fleer uh, with the you know the vertical gray bars. Uh, and then you can get that one with or without the error, um, with the Marlboro sign in the back. Like there are there, rookie cards got a lot harder as we got into the nineties. Right. So I don't know. It's just something that struck me as I was thinking about, uh, Joe Morgan and that 1965, uh, tops rookie card of his, um, kind of looking back at the week for me, um, uh, brought in a couple of, uh, uh, cool cards for the PC. Um, happened to swing by my local card shop uh, last week. I was looking for um, top loaders because those are like gold now, uh, which they didn't have any of those. But they'd recently brought some cards in uh, to the shop, and they were just in a box and let me look through them. And I'd been looking for a 1971 Terry Bradshaw uh, rookie, and lo and behold, there was one in the box. So I, I picked that up. A uh, little off center, corners are sharp, but uh, not a bad card of the Blonde Bomber uh, for the PC uh, to stick in with my uh, my '70s uh, Steelers collection. And uh, I talked last week about my conversation with the Lucas Show with G about Jason Williams and and putting him up on some Jason Williams YouTube highlights, and that prompted me to uh, to look around for. A nice uh, Jason Williams on-card auto. Um, they're actually not that hard to come by here locally because he's done a couple of card show signings uh, recently in the area. But what I wanted was something, you know, licensed, authenticated. Uh, so I picked up a, a Panini Noir, and you guys are, are picking up on my love for Noir. Uh, a Panini Noir Raining Nights on-card auto of Jay Will. It's in the Grizzlies uniform, which I'm not super keen on. I'm still trying to find one uh, in the Sacramento Kings uniform, which is classic Jason Williams to me. But it was a good-looking card. It was a Noir that I liked, um, and it, the price was right. So I picked that up. And then the other thing that I've been doing uh, recently, and I, I've really slowed my my purchasing down, uh, but I'm starting to get into listening to all of these basketball uh, podcasts. And there are a few of them uh, uh, that are really almost hyper-focused on 90s inserts. So I'm, I'm going back and trying to pick up some Grant Hill 90s. Grant Hill was my favorite player in that era that sort of uh, mid to late '90s, early 2000s era. Grant Hill was my guy. Uh, Pistons fan, liked the way he played the game. But 
Uh, I don't have a ton of, you know, I have a lot of base, but I, so I'm, I'm going through and trying to find Grant Hill inserts. And I also, um, this is something that I'll throw out to you guys. Um, share with me what your favorite 90s basketball inserts are. Um, so this week I picked up, I really like the Z-Force cards. I picked up a, a few Z-Force uh, Grant Hills, both uh, uh, the regular Z Force and then the Gold Parallels. Um, I'm I'm on the hunt for some Beam Team uh, inserts. But what are your favorite '90s basketball inserts? Uh, put me up on some things, uh, and I, I, I I'm curious what other inserts uh, people like and 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 just looking for some new stuff. I really, I, I want to round out the Grant Hill insert collection. So I'll kind of throw that out to you guys. And if anybody wants to share thoughts on uh, your favorite nineties basketball inserts, uh, you can email me wvcardboard at gmail.com or DM me on, on Instagram at wvcardboard. Uh, but I, I want to round out the Grant Hill collection, but I picked up a few Z force uh, cards this week and I, I just think those cards are cool. I, I, there's a lot of nostalgia for me about the, and for a lot of folks about those mid nineties inserts, but looking back on them as an adult, you see the design works really cool on some of these cards. And so they're nice to have in your collection. Uh, so hit me up with your thoughts on nineties inserts. Uh, so I can scout for some more Grant Hills. Let's talk about social media this week and some of my interactions. Don't have a lot of con- content shout outs this week. Um, I'll get to one later. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's an old faithful, but uh, social media had a couple of really great conversations this week uh, and uh, got to know a couple of really great guys. Uh, and I want to mention them on the show today. Uh, the first one uh, on Instagram at CD underscore cards with a Z. Uh, born in West Virginia, now living in Tampa, Florida. Uh, he grew up in a neighboring county from me. Uh, I'm a little older than he is, but we grew up, you know, probably 20 to 30 minutes apart. Um, we connected over the Jason Williams segment from last week's show. Uh, so it's always fun for me to meet and chat with people that share that West Virginia heritage and, you know, I know what I know. The high school he went to. Uh, I'm sure if we peeled back the layers on the onion, we would have some common uh, friends or connections. But you know, a guy living in Tampa, listening to this podcast, who grew up, you know, 20, 25 minutes from me, and and that to me is cool. So shout out to at CD underscore cards, and then the other one uh, this week, and this really flows now into the main segment of the show um, because it it brought back some memories for me, but also sort of made me stop and think a little bit, but, uh, connected with a new, uh, Instagram follower this week. And I'm going to butcher the name. If I try to tell you what the Instagram handle is, I'll put it in the show notes, but suffice it to say his name is Casey and he lives in Missouri and he's a Kansas city Royals fan. And, just an incredibly nice guy. We, we chatted back and forth. He, he's gotten back into cards because of his son and, and connecting with his son through cards and sports. And, uh, I knew he was going to be a good guy when he told me that he grew up, he he lives in Missouri, uh, kind of in the middle of, uh, St. Louis Cardinals fans, but he shares my opinion on St. Louis Cardinals fans, and he's a Royals fan. And that, to me, uh, told me everything I needed to know. Casey's a great guy because he doesn't buy into that 
Cardinals have the best fans in baseball nonsense. But we, we started talking about, you know, who do you collect? What do you do? And what was sort of inspirational to me in this conversation was, you know, I don't have kids, so I don't connect with folks on that level. Um, but he said that the reason he's a Royals fan is because his grandmother, who passed away when he was two, he's told that she was an enormous Kansas City Royals fan, so he's trying to keep that tradition alive. And that hit me right in the feels because I had a very close relationship growing up with my grandmother, and she was also a sports fan, and and she was a very important person in my life. So, you know, when he talked about being a Royals fan because of his grandmother who passed away before he got to know her, that told me a lot about the 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 makeup of this dude and and his and his character and and he's collecting now for the right reasons and and that that was a cool moment. So we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, he collects the Kansas City Royals and he and his son like Whit Merrifield and then uh you know like everybody else, I suppose, in, in Missouri and, and in Kansas in Kansas City fans, you know, trying to collect Patrick Mahomes cards. Uh, and by the way, what a treat that is uh, to to be a, a Kansas City Chiefs fan and have a, a generational talent like Patrick Mahomes just on the, the upswing of what is hopefully going to be a very long and successful career. And I say that not as a Chiefs fan, but as a guy who just appreciates the way Patrick Mahomes plays the game of football and how from all... Uh, indications, and certainly we can be disappointed here, but from all indications, carries himself uh, professionally off the field as well. So what a great time to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. But anyway, so Casey, and I'll throw Casey's, I don't, I'll, I'll know, I'll, I know I'll mispronounce it if I try to tell you what his Instagram handle is. I'll put it up in the show notes. Follow the dude. Uh, give him a follow. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, let's just continue to connect and, and build this community. But so Casey talking about that made me, you know, think about my grandmother and, and remember back to my grandmother uh, would buy me cards uh, back in the early 80s. You know, my grandfather bought me my first pack, uh, but my grandmother would would buy me cards. And, and uh, when I would go to their house, I know she had a big drawer full of them somewhere in her bedroom, but she would pull out a pack at a time and give them to me. Uh, to open, not all at once. Like those weren't the days where you bought a hobby box and just sat and busted the whole box. Like I would go to my grandparents on the weekend and she would pull out one wax pack and give it to me. And I would be so excited. And I knew somewhere in that bedroom, there was a drawer full of wax packs, but I was getting them a pack or two at a time on a weekly basis. And, and that's how I grew up opening cards. So Anyway, that conversation with Casey just brought all of that back to me, and it was it was cool. So that really is what this hobby is about for me. It's connecting with people and connecting with those memories. And that's why I like vintage cards, and that's why I'm focusing now on not trying to collect a whole bunch of stuff, but better stuff and stuff that has some meaning. Uh and that sort of transitions into not where I am big picture in the hobby, but where I am right now in October of 2020 with the hobby. And it's a weird time in sports because uh, basketball should be getting ready to just start up, but it just ended. 
Uh, we are in the middle middle of football season, like we normally would be, uh, and the tail end of baseball season. But um, we're going to go from having all of these sports playing at the same time to. And by the way, sorry, hockey fans. I don't mean to leave you out, but that's just not my jam. But we go from having everything playing at the same time to pretty soon it's just going to be football. And there used to be a cycle to how this worked in the hobby. And, you know, when you would prep for the next season or get your stuff together to sell for the next season or researching who you were going to buy the next season. And now all of that's a little bit murky because we don't know 100 percent when we we can be pretty sure, I think, that baseball is going to come back to a normal spring training calendar next year or at least attempt to. Um, Basketball is a, a little a lot more vague. Uh, the best that I've heard, the most reasonable calendar timeline that I've heard is that uh, basketball will return around Martin Luther King Day, which would be the end of January. Um, so trying to figure that out. So where I am right now with my collecting and trying to get stuff ready uh, for next year is I'm just kind of prepping the off season, uh, prepping for the off season for baseball and basketball. Um waiting for calendar updates from the NBA and Major League Baseball, organizing my things to sell, and separating. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm going through my PC, and I'm, I'm going through it with a very critical eye, and I'm pulling out the things that are essential to me. And that was a word that came up this week in content that I'll kind of go back to. But picking out the things that are essential to me, and then everything else, I'm really buying into this sell everything you don't love and start over philosophy. So I've got a shoebox full of Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger. But of those shoebox, and when I mean shoe, I mean like two row, like, you know, divided cardboard box. Of that box, maybe five or six cards are what I would consider to be essential to me. Everything else is just stuff. So I want to get rid of just stuff. So that's kind of where I'm focused on for the winter. And I, I'm anticipating growth in basketball as the season draws closer. I'm anticipating uh, peak buying season uh, in baseball when Major League Baseball gets closer to a return. I'm, I'm tracking the World Series. And you know, just last night, I sold some, some Walker Bueller cards that I didn't care about. Um, and I've got some some bellies and some and some bets and some Seeger up as well. Um, so I'm doing that, but I'm really looking forward to spring training of next year. And you know, for guys that I I think will get a lot of hype going into next year, I'm I'm talking with myself and 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 thinking about this critically and saying, do I want to sell it now or do I want to prep it, have it ready? And sell it closer to the start of the 2021 season when the hype starts to pick up. And I've, I've kind of gone back to I'm going to sell football and vintage right now. And then for current players, I'm going to hold those until the season draws a little closer and try to take advantage of some preseason hype, both in basketball and baseball. But that's where I'm at right now with my with my collecting and with my uh, sales is I'm I'm really just trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. 
keeping the things that I that are that that are essential, that are significant, and that are important to me. And then everything else is just inventory at this point. You know, I've been through that phase where I was buying everything and bringing everything in and, and putting everything in a top loader and filling out these highly organized boxes with with tabs and labels and and look at all of these Mookie Betts cards. It's just stuff. There are two or three Mookie Betts cards that are important to me or that I think are significant and I'm going to keep those and everything else is for sale eventually. Um, And I had this epiphany this week and it started with, here's where my epiphany started. My epiphany started with Starstock and I like Starstock and I think Starstock serves an important function in this hobby and there is a place for Starstock. So in no way, shape or form is what I'm about to say, should it, should it be taken as being anti-Starstock. I'm pro-Starstock, but it's there's a certain aspect of it that's not for me. And I think we, we, we sometimes we get caught up in this world where if it's not for me and I don't like it, then I'm just going to crap on it. But I'm not going to do that. I, and I still have money in Starstock, and I'm, I'm still going to, to keep my Starstock account. But here's, the, here's, what I, here's what happened with me this week. When football season was getting ready to start, I went into Starstock and I and I did the show. It was show two or show three where I talked about who I was going to invest in in football heading into the season with this mindset that DFS and fantasy and gamblers were going to really drive the prices of wide receivers and running backs up. And it was for the first time in a long time, not just going to be about quarterbacks. And I really bought into that. And I it's you you still see it happening. Like if I, I wish I had more DK Metcalf cards because anytime I post a DK Metcalf card for sale on eBay, it sells within an hour, and that's not a joke. I I blew through my DK Metcalf inventory probably a little too soon, but I'm okay with that. I, I I'm turned a profit, and that's all that matters. But I went on to Starstock at the beginning of the season, and and I I bought in to all of those guys that I told you about. On that episode of the podcast where I talked about my thoughts going into the football season on who could, you know, show return on investment, I put my money where my mouth was, and I did, uh, I I did make some profit on several guys, DK uh, most notably, um, but. After the initial rush, things got stagnant. And and personal note, I'm not a patient person, and that's probably a detriment in a situation like this. But I'm sitting there, and and I've got some cards up, and, and they're listed, and I had some offers, and they weren't what I wanted, and I've, I was just sitting on it. And then one day this past week, I pulled up my Starstock account and I started looking at the offers I had on on some of the cards that I had up for sale. And I said to myself, do I really want to be a person in this hobby who is every day trying to capitalize on the performance of Miles Boykin? 
right? Like there's an example. Miles Boykin, wide receiver, played at Baylor, plays in Baltimore now. You know, with the Ravens, he, he Marquise Brown gets all the headlines. Miles Boykin was a guy that I thought could have a couple of big games, and people might be buying. And it, like, is that is that what I want to do in this hobby? Like, do I every day want to be looking to see if Miles Boykin prices are going up? And I said to myself, No, I don't. Like, I don't want to be a guy whose fortunes in this hobby are tied to the on-field success of Hunter Renfro in Las Vegas. Like, I don't like the Raiders. I don't like the Ravens. I don't have any affinity for these players. Why am I buying their cards? Why? Because I think I'm going to make a buck or two. Like, now now I'm like, I'm like Prop Joe on the wire. Buy for a dollar, sell for two. And is that what I want to do with my time and energy and money in this hobby? Do I want to buy for a dollar and sell for two on Hunter Renfro? No, I don't. I really, really don't. So you know what I did? If it was pennies on the dollar and I had an offer, I took it. And I just blew through all of my inventory and I took the L and I'm okay with that. I still have a couple of things that I'm sitting on, mostly basketball. I've got some John Morant's that I'm sitting on that I'm just going to hold until basketball season starts. But now with my star stock, and I'm going to keep my star stock account, what I realized was that strategy and that sort of part of the hobby is not for me. And I tried it. I went through my experimental phase and I didn't like it. So I'm just going to get out. And if I lose 10 or 12 bucks, so be it. So what I'm going to do now with my Starstock account is I'm going to treat it just like my regular PC collecting buying habits. And if I, you know, with what I've got in my account, if I see a card that I would want to keep, I'm going to buy it and sit on it. And if the price goes up and I have the opportunity to sell it and turn a profit, I will. But at the end of the day, if I decide, you know what, I'm just tired of waiting. I'm just going to have them ship me the card because I want to keep this card. I like this card. I like this player. Then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to treat Starstock just like the rest of my collecting strategy. So then that leads to really the epiphany that I had this week. And it was it was thanks to Brett at Stacking Slabs. And I talk about Brett all the time, but he's kind of my hobby spirit animal. And as I said in the first episode of this podcast way back three plus months ago, he's one of the reasons that I'm here doing this podcast because he was inspirational to me. And his content is solid. And it's funny, like on a wavelength viewpoint, he and I are really in in similar places on a couple of areas. You know, the only thing we really diverge on greatly is is grading you know he's stacking slabs i'm just out here stacking cardboard but other than that like our mentality and like where we are in the hobby is it lines up quite often but he said this on on twitter and then shared it to instagram and i'm just going to quote directly because this resonated with me because it came right on. I mean, it, he posted this like the day after I went through my Starstock account and just dumped stuff because I didn't, I didn't want to be tied to Hunter Renfro and Miles Boykin and Darrell Henderson anymore because I don't care about them as players. So he posted this, and here's the quote. Collectors buy cards that we plan to keep. Better cards appear, and we sell the 
better cards appear and we sell the originals to fund the new. We have the opportunity to do this because the cards we bought increase in value. I've always been confused by the terminology, this is investing to me. Buying 600 Renfro cards for 99 cents and trying to flip them for $2 is not investing. That's flipping. Buying, and my first success on Starstock is a good example of what I now consider investing. Buying a Donovan Mitchell silver prism prior to the playoffs, because Donovan Mitchell is a guy that I like, and now, in retrospect, I know had had the price not gone to where I wanted it to go, I would just have that card shipped to me and I would put it in my PC. But buying a Donovan Mitchell card and then flipping it and buying a better Donovan Mitchell card later, that's really investing. So that, but, And I'm going to read that quote again because I think we all need to think about this and, and think about who we want to be in this hobby. Collectors buy cards that we plan to keep. Better cards appear, and we sell the originals to fund the new. We have the opportunity to do this because the cards we bought increase in value. I've always been confused by the terminology, this is investing to me. And that drives my actions going forward. Starstock, great platform. 10 out of 10 would recommend, but it's all in how you use it. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to use it like I like I approach everything else in the hobby. And I'm going to focus on what I love. Rookie cards of the players that I really like. Vintage cards of players that I really like. On-card autos of players that I really like. In basketball, Dame's my guy. I'm going to collect all the Dame I can. But I'm going to focus on parallels and serial numbered cards. And I'm going to, I'm going to dive into the Grant Hill 90s inserts and parallels. Because that's what I like. That's a player that I like, and that's an era that I like. In football, football, I've really come to understand that it's about just a couple of things for me. It's about vintage Steelers, the 70s Steel Curtain era Super Bowl winning Steelers. That was my passion growing up. So I'm going to focus on that. And then in modern cards, it's about Russell Wilson and Justin Herbert. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm captain of the Justin Herbert party barge, so I have to, I have to continue down that road uh, as long as I can uh, because that's authentic for me. So that's it. Like, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm still going to buy wax. And I keep saying that like, I, because I love it. I love ripping packs. I love ripping cards. You never know what you're going to find, and that's exciting. But from now on, it either goes in the PC because it's something that is significant for me or it's going out the door. So that's it. I'm done buying I'm done buying cards with the intention of just selling them. And I think that's to to distill it down into the most simple terminology is I'm no longer buying things with the intention of just selling them. And I was doing a whole lot of that 2 3 4 5 months ago. But I can't do that anymore because that's not authentic. That's not who I am. And that's not who I want to be in this hobby. 
that's it, folks. That's to, that's this week's show. Thanks for listening to me rant about cards and and baseball and football and basketball for uh, another week. I really, really, really appreciate all of the feedback that I'm getting on uh, social media. Again, Instagram, Twitter, it's at WV Cardboard. Uh, the website is wvcardboard.com. You can shoot me an email, wvcardboard at gmail.com. Connect with me and let's have a conversation. And I've been poking around trying to come up with a really great uh, closing line for the show, sort of a goodbye, sort of a, uh, a closing statement. And I, I, I think I figured out what it's going to be. So from now on, I'm going to close the show with this line. And I'll see you next week. Peace, love, and penny sleeves. Connect with Mountain State Cardboard on Instagram at WV Cardboard. Our theme music is performed and produced by John Ingram. Visit our show page on Anchor, anchor.fm slash WV Cardboard. This podcast is a member of the 3BG Podcasting Network, a production of 3BG Media. All rights reserved.